I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, friends, and welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. Carolina Summers, she's a mom here in Seattle, uh, raising a daughter with Pfeiffer Syndrome. She's also the CEO of Born a Hero here in Seattle and the founder of the Rare Disease Fair. The virtual conference is in a few days, June 4th and 5th, 2021, and there's still time to register. Head over to rarediseasefair.com and sign up. There are some amazing and inspiring speakers lined up, and I hope to see you there. Another announcement that I'm super proud of and excited to tell you about. Do you remember my episode with Patrick James Lynch from Bloodstream? I have been invited to be their first non-hemophilia related podcast to join their network at Believe Limited. So it's official today and I'm thrilled to be a part of this amazing team. I know I say a lot that this is the wild, wild west and I'm just winging things over here because I know it's important, but... I'm going to stand in my accomplishments today. I'm so thankful to all of you for listening and sharing and supporting me, my family, and my podcast. I believe the intention I had when I started it is what breathed all the life into it and created the energy and direction of it all. We are stronger together. Okay, enough housekeeping. Today's episode is magical. I hope this reaches every rare mother out there. I'm speaking with the founder of Angel Aid Cares, which works to provide connection, relief, and support for the caregivers. Her story starts as a rare sibling. It unfolds with heartbreak and passion, grit, and grace. Put a bookmark on this one because you're probably going to want to come back and listen another time or two. We get in pretty deep, so let's just get started. Please enjoy my conversation with the warm, beautiful soul, Crystal O'Loughlin. Hello, Crystal, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you as my guest today. Yay! <laughs> we finally made it happen. <laughs> I know. Yay! I feel like that's just the age-old story of rare disease, but especially just moms getting together. There's so much going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I am looking at this gorgeous ocean view right now, palm trees everywhere. It's overcast. It's not sunny in Southern California right now, but it is inspiring nonetheless. So I uh, just want you to know that I'm so grateful to you for um, inviting me onto your show. Well, I wish I was there with you to enjoy that view. So I'll just live vicariously through you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, really the pleasure is mine. I'm, I'm just really excited to talk to you and introduce my audience to you if they don't know about you yet. And just all of the rich history that you have and the value that you're bringing to our world in rare disease and just in general. So let's dig in because like Crystal deserves three episodes, but we're for now, we'll try to keep it one. But if we can't, we'll we'll continue. So you're too kind. I love it. You know, there's no better place than to start at the beginning. Crystal, I know you kind of came from a pretty large family. So tell me a little bit about your childhood. 
isn't that like the classic storytelling <laughs> when I was a little girl, you know, totally. but, but actually in the context of um, rare disease, it's relevant. So I appreciate you giving me a chance to honor it. And as you know, I did a TEDx called Caring for the Caregivers, where I also talked about the Barrett family story. But just in a nutshell, I'm the youngest of five children. I had four older brothers. My oldest brother, Richard Adam is still alive, and obviously I'm here um, having this conversation, but three of my four older brothers, David, Jared, and Randy, were born with mucopolysaccharidosis disease. It's MPS disease for short, and I like to say the layman's terms, muco is mucus, poly stands for a lot, and saccharidosis stands for sugar. So even though my parents who, you know, met in high school, he was captain of the football team and she was head drill team leader and they fell fast in love. They got married right out of, out of high school and they wanted a really big family. So they had like a basketball team of kids within eight years, right? All of us, all the babies were born looking normal, but as so frequently often happens in rare disease, my mother could tell that David and Jared were not progressing the same way. They weren't hitting the milestones, those kind of classic milestones in pediatrics that Richard, her oldest son, my oldest brother, had been hitting. And so she was actually eight months pregnant with Randy when they finally diagnosed what was going on, because she got just the brush off for so many years, you know, oh, he's a colicky baby, or not all children develop at the same rate, just give it time, just kind of those classic wishful thinking kinds of input from the pediatrician. So finally, one day when, when she was pregnant with her fourth son, she had David with her in the pediatrician's office, and she said, why can't David straighten his arm? And that was a clue that there was some skeletal challenges going on. And, um, and so then they did eventually diagnose David and Jared with MPS disease, also known as Hunter's syndrome. And she, as I mentioned, was eight months pregnant with Randy. So when he was born, he was diagnosed as well. And I was a bit of an accident. <laughs> I was an accident, but um, a happy accident. And by then they had developed an amniocentesis test. So I was one of the first amnio babies. So yeah, so that's, you know, that's the background. And it is a tragic story. My brothers were very sick, you know, for their remaining years, they passed away at 12, 18 and 19 years old. And so our whole family was consumed with the caregiving of, of the boys. And, you know, children are adaptable. You know, we don't know the difference, especially me as the youngest. I, I just, I knew if my brothers were happy or sad, I didn't need them to give me words to tell me that. I just, you know, got pinches or pushes or grunts or whatever, you know, um, they, we were like a pack of puppies. We would just get thrown in the backyard and kind of scream at the top of our lungs, you know, um, like, like children do. So, so I have really beautiful, happy memories of growing up with my brothers and I keep them close to my heart. I envision my brothers as the constellation Orion in the night sky, especially in the summer skies. Orion is the warrior constellation and he wears a belt and there's three stars for his sword. And so I'm getting a little choked up, but 
I always know my brothers are really close by. I love that you have that constellation to look up to. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. My goodness. I, I mean, I, I, I tend to get a little choked up sometimes because I feel so blessed, right? I really, I feel like it's such a weird thing to say, but I, I just feel really blessed and happy to be alive. Like I don't, I don't take my presence on the planet ever for granted um, because I was, I was healthy and I was lucky and I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Mm, everyone's nodding along with you, Crystal, yeah. <laughs> and holding their hearts. We're so sorry for the loss of your of your three brothers. And also emotions are the one thing in the world that don't make me uncomfortable and they aren't something that need an apology here. So my heart breaks because I know you said that kids are so adaptable and they are, you know, they're so moldable and plastic and resilient but beyond their years, especially as a rare disease sibling. But I also know that that was a burden that was probably pretty heavy, especially as they got older and eventually passed away. And obviously, it's how it's shaped you is super shiny. And I commend you for that. I think it's just, it's one of the stunning things that comes out of this horrific wreckage, right? Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, and it's a question, right? That question of why me? You know, when you get philosophical and you start reflecting on your life and your role and you know your purpose on the planet, it doesn't have to be this kind of adversity. I think this, you know, adversity is universal. The naive mind and the naive soul thinks that you can go through life without adversity in a difficult and yeah. <laughs> a difficult time. And you know, in our world, it's it's dealing with a medicalized life. And it's dealing with the awareness that there are not cures for these, you know, more than 8,000 diseases and, and that there are only treatments for 5% of these, of these rare diseases that our families are living with. And so it's like, it's like blissful unawareness, right? You know, um, ignorance is bliss is the saying, I think. So, you know, so many families get to, to go through life and not shoulder these burdens. But it doesn't mean that they're not shouldering other burdens, right? That's, that's the defining hallmark of being a human is our ability to recognize difficulty. And I'd like to think, you know, in all my years that I've been thinking about that question of why, why me, why us, why our family, you know, why David, Jared, and Randy, why did this happen? I'd like to think that the purpose in the pain is to be there for other people that have gone through really difficult times, whether it's in rare disease or something else. So as soon as you open up your heart and you talk about the difficult time that you've had, whatever it is, you'll see reflected back in the person talking, you're talking to their own pain, right? Their own painful experience, whatever that is. That's just human human nature to, to try to make sense out of the nonsensical. I've said it before, but I think that suffering sows the seeds of empathy and that you know in your difficult experience you have a perspective that other people you're, it's like a superpower really is what it becomes is and you see it in siblings especially in families these are like ultra empathetic humans 
whose hearts have just been so shaped by their experience. Whether they liked it or not, you know, they, they had a role to play and, you know, grew up playing that role in the family. And, and then I think parents who, you know, 82% of the time, the primary caregiver is the mother. So um, mothers in particular, never in exclusion of fathers, because our fathers are so present um, most of the time, right? And we're so often in harmony trying to work through these experiences. And some, sometimes there is incredible disharmony, like with my parents. It wasn't all hearts and flowers, and they did divorce over the challenges that that the burden brought, right? Of, you know, how do you care for three really sick children and two healthy children, especially in the 60s. Like you got to put some context around it too, because we're so lucky in so many respects. We've got resources now that didn't exist. And, and, you know, the biggest one is this virtual world, right? Now there's the ability to connect over the internet with other families or with researchers or, you know, with the scientific community or even pharmaceutical companies, if there happens to be clinical trials or treatments or cures. So it's just, we're just very fortunate if we look at today's world versus 50 years ago when my parents were were dealing um, with their reality. And I would say that you know, reflecting back on 50 years. I just turned 50 like two weeks ago. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) That mid-century mark, right? Wherever, you know, so many people go through um, midlife crisis and everything. And I think it's because they're dealing with mortality issues. You know, they're like, whoa, I'm on the other side of 50. Like, what does this mean? And, you know, we've been dealing with mortality issues and thoughts, you know, since the beginning in the Barrett family. And, and so, you know, I'm just, is it weird to say that I'm grateful for the life that, that I've had and the experiences that we, that, that we have had as a family. And there is a really beautiful end to the Barrett family love story. So before we close out today and to any of the listeners, you know, if you stick around to the end, I'll give you a love story of the ages. Ooh, look at Crystal giving you a nugget. <laughs> I love that cliffhanger. You said so much there, Crystal. Like, I, I wish I was writing it all down. So it's good that I have recorded. But you said a couple things that really resonated with me when you were talking about why me, why me. And I think for me, without diminishing the pain and all of the stuff that goes along with it, I looked to come from a place of why not me, kind of what it seems like you've done and what you've done with your work as since your brothers passed away and how equipped you were to do something and to make a mark in a positive way for other people, which is such a significant thing about siblings, like you said. And also something else you said about what we gain, right? What we gain from adversity. I just read a book and they said post-traumatic stress will reveal post-traumatic wisdom. And I think that you you explained that. You explained that really well. Mm, I love that. Gosh, I haven't I haven't thought of it in that in that respect and I, you know, I have a a lot of thoughts. I'm glad you brought it up. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. It's also Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> the irony is not lost on me that they're, that they're recognized in the same month, but May, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And, and what I often talk about when I'm 
you know, either doing presentations for pharma or for rare disease foundations and communities, and some of them are paid and some of them are pro bono. I just want to get the word out always about thinking about our mental health because these are really difficult experiences and they're, you know, we are in the trenches as rare families, right? We are like veterans and military um, families. We're, we're living the most difficult circumstances on a daily basis. And the term PTSD always really bothered me. And I couldn't figure out why until the last couple of years, because my mother has been diagnosed with PTSD, you know, many times over the years, because these are long journeys for for caregivers like my mother and father, they're 77 this year, right? So your journey as a caregiver really never ends. It ends with your life as a caregiver, not the life of the person you're caring for, which is a heavy reality, right? If you think about it, but, but you know, there's a freedom that comes from recognizing that because it also helps with the other notion that you need to care for yourself as much as you're caring for others. And as you're caring for someone, you got to care for yourself so that you keep recharging and, and renewing and, and you know finding new sources of energy and just to do the triage kind of work that you do every day when you're a caregiver. But in the long run, it's because this is the impact on your life, right? You deserve as much love and empathy and caring as you're giving to other people. And it's so easy to lose sight of that and lose track of that. And this is why I love the fact that we have this like hallmark focus on mental health. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, and the pandemic has really brought it out, right? I think it's so amazing to have a backdrop and amazing is the wrong word. I please, I hope that's not misconstrued. What, what I mean by amazing is for the first time in a hundred years, perhaps, you know, across the world, the human race is living the way rare families live every day. Amen. Right? I mean, we've been dealing with medical, the trifecta, this is the trifecta, the, the medical uncertainty every day. We've been dealing with isolation every day, working from home homeschooling, you know, all of these restrictions on freedoms that most of the population just moves through, you know, and doesn't really recognize how lucky they are. We've been living them every day. So I think there's this amazing opportunity for the general public to be sensitized to what rare families go through. And so I really feel like this is our time So I encourage everybody to be talking about your experience because we tend to go in rare, we tend to go insular. You know, we're in triage mode and we're dealing with symptom management. We're dealing with like constant crisis. And so we tend to just get task oriented and triage oriented and we do what needs to be done. And, you know, talking about it broadly, even with people at school or people at work or even with family, like that becomes hard. There's this expectation of positivity in our culture, especially westernized cultures that you're going to share good news. And there's not always a lot of good news to share in rare disease, right? So we're just like, oh my God, we're waking up and we're trying to look on the bright side of things and we're trying to find the silver linings. 
and we're trying to have a stiff upper lip and we're trying to be positive, but it's hard because just back to the PTSD comment, it's not a post-traumatic stress experience because it's ongoing. <laughs> it, it's not in the past. It's every day. It's like chronic. It's so, so I actually, this is my next TED talk. I love it that we're talking about this because I'm kind of practicing, but I want to do a TED talk on chronic traumatic stress because that's what we experience in the rare disease families in our world. Our world is every day. And in the context of that, how do you find time to do self-care? How do you find time? How do you find permission to even focus on yourself? And I guess what I would say is you've got to find micro moments, little itty bitty moments every day that you do something for yourself because that's the only way you can keep it sustained. And I'm giving you permission. <laughs> so listen up, every single one of you listening right now, you have got to take care of yourself. And let me tell you, you're worth it. You're worth it and you deserve it. So just take a little time for yourself, even if it's breathing, right? I mean, should we do this right now? Sure. sure. I love oh, breathing, Crystal. I love it. Okay. I love it. So let's do this right now because I'll show you how easy it is to just take a micro moment. So I, I'd like to ask everybody, if you're driving, please don't do this <laughs> in this way, adapt. But if you're sitting and, and listening in a steady state, you could put your feet flat on the floor and anything in your hands, just set it down. You can put your hands on your lap if you'd like. And if you'd like, you can close your eyes and we're going to take three deep breaths together. And inhale in and exhale. And a deep inhale. And exhale. And a deep inhale. And exhale. And you can open your eyes. And you come in to the awareness of your body and your heart beating and the calm that you've just invited in literally seconds of breathing. Thoughtful, mindful breathing is my gift to you today. And you can do it anywhere. <laughs> so I hope that made you feel good because it made me feel fabulous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I love, I love that you did that. So thank you so much. And I think it is overlooked a lot that the practice of breathing is not only free, everyone can do it. You wouldn't be here if you couldn't breathe. And it's such a grounding way to regulate yourself. So many of us are in this fight or flight mode all the time. Our resting heart rate isn't resting at all. And things like incorporating a small little breathing practice into your day can really infuse so many things. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so right. And, you know, for for the sort of left brain kind of researcher side of this, there's so much research now. There's so much evidence that the things that we know that we should do for ourselves actually do make a difference. Because you talked about that fight or flight. And there's a woman in our angel aid health and wellness practitioner network. And I know we haven't talked about angel aid yet, but, but just sort of put a pin in that in the nonprofit that I run, we have a group of wellness practitioners. And one of them is Dr. Alyssa Eppel, and she's the preeminent researcher on stress. And so many of her stress studies have been done on parents of children with chronic illnesses, right? So, so she spent a lot of time looking at the data. And the reality is we have these things at the end of our cells called telomeres. And a few of you may have heard of telomeres, you know, um, there's a really famous book that Dr. Eppel authored, co-authored called The Telomere Effect. And this research was Nobel Prize winning research back in the day. And it, it basically talked about how the cumulative effects of chronic stress wear out your telomeres. And at the end of your life, the measure of the end of your life is your telomeres sort of turning off, right? You know, just the slow dimming of, of their effectiveness. And the good news in all of this is that you can fortify, you can repair, you can elongate your telomeres, you can light them back up again with these practices that we're talking about, mindful practices, things like, you know, exercise, even just a few minutes of walking every day makes a huge difference on your telomeres and, and your life story. Eating well, mindfulness exercises like meditation, silence, deep breathing, you know, even just a few minutes before bed or uh, a few notes of gravity drifting across, uh, grat gratitude drifting across your brain in the morning as you wake up. All of those have this cumulative positive effect on you and your body and your mind and your life. And I think that's really positive. It's really good to know because you hear all this bad news all the time, you know, all these things are like so hard in the environment on you. And it's like, it's actually within our power to make things better in really just kind of consistently small ways. Mm. Yes. Take care of those telomeres, baby. Yeah. <laughs> we heard Katie Stevens talk about it in episode four, actually, from Team Telomere. And that book is amazing. Definitely check it out. The Telomere Effect. Alyssa's like, she's amazing. I want to talk to her, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can make that intro if you don't know her. I'd be happy to. She'd love she'd love to spread the word. She actually has a new book coming out um, called Stress Rx. Mm, we're all going to be getting that book. Yes, exactly. Yep. Okay, well, let's get into it. Okay. I mean, there's there's so many different avenues to who you are, like I said in the beginning, um, but you you touched on your beautiful nonprofit, Angel Aid Cares. So give us the deets. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I painted this picture like here I am growing up, you know, altruistically as a sibling and I knew what my life calling was. And that's really not true. <laughs> Like when you get into your teenage, teenage years in your 20s, you, you're just kind of self-centered. You know, my, my brothers had passed away. The pain passes. 
and you do go on with your life. And we had gone on with our lives. And I was very self-centered and went to high school, went to UCLA, uh, was really focused on getting a job. I was working in advertising and marketing. But as I got into my mid-20s, I really did start thinking about, okay, I, you know, I want to be a mom. I want to start a family. And so those questions of fertility come up. And, you know, and then you're in this very odd zone, the gray zone. I talked to Taylor Kane from Remember the Girls about this, um, or Kim Stevens from, you know, Hunter's Project Alive, and Terry Klein from the National MPS Society. Like you get to, you get to the point where you go, okay, I'm going to have children and I am a carrier of this rare, deadly disease, right? And now when do you disclose that to your partner? You know, and so I've started having these really difficult conversations with the person I was dating at the time. And he was rightfully asking a lot of questions that I couldn't answer. And so I started looking into my genetics and genetic testing and all of these things. And what I discovered, you know, about MPS disease was impactful enough to make me want to do something about it. So the calling didn't come instantaneously. It kind of came over time. And I even flew to Minnesota and went to a National MPS Society meeting, you know, a family conference, right? And so now I'm meeting all these kids that had the disease. It's bringing back all of these memories for me and things like that. And I came back with such a passion in my heart. And I sat down with a bunch of UCLA Pi Beta Phi sorority sisters. And I said, we've got to do something about this. You know, this is like, we can't just, you know, keep going to parties on the weekend. We got to start doing fundraisers, you know, this kind of thing. So that was the synthesis, um, that, the genesis, that was the beginning of Angel Aid was a bunch of 20 somethings sitting around a room drinking wine saying we got to do something and we partnered up with the national mps society we didn't really want all the responsibility we just wanted to raise the money so how perfect is that right you know we called up the the, the mps society who at the time was just a, a pretty small group of parents predominantly on the east coast and we said we want to raise money for you and what i didn't know until many years later is that the mps society at that time, which is 20 years ago, was about $25,000 in the red. They were actually in arrears, you know, and they really needed to raise money. And here we are out in Los Angeles. So we just start doing what we do best and throw parties. So we had these big parties at the Sunset Room, the Rainbow Room on Sunset Boulevard. And, you know, we'd bring in bands and we'd have VIP rooms and we'd have silent auctions and we'd do all this kind of stuff. And we pulled together tons of money in our view, like $25,000. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> which is like now is, you know, it's every dollar counts. And as donors and foundation um, leaders, we, we know that every donation counts, but it did take us a couple years. We pulled together $25,000 and then that was matched by the MPS society. And we released our first research grant. So our co-sponsored research grant, Angel Aid and um, the MPS Society. And it turns out that that research grant went to someone pretty famous in the rare disease space. Are you excited to hear who I'm it was? I'm excited. Okay, I'm going to do my drum roll. <laughs> it went to a researcher named Dr. Emil Caucus. 
So Emil is now the CEO of Ultragenics Pharmaceuticals um, and doing so much in the rare disease space, you know, founder of Every Life with Mark Dant, you know, has, has definitely given back in terms of, you know, research and the science, but also the advocacy work and so many ideas on how we can partner on caregiver support as well. But, but Emil did re receive one of, you know, he had tons of research grants, but one of ours, you know, one of our research grants. And he had this novel idea that, you know, you could take an enzyme that was missing and create a synthetic version of the enzyme and then flush it through the bodies of the children, kind of like dialysis, right? I'm sure I'm explaining this all wrong. So please, this is not medical advice, but, but that was the concept or at least how I understood it. And turns out that was a really good bet. So that research went on to clinical trial and eventually sort of standard of care treatment for young men with uh, Hunter syndrome today. And there's a bunch of other rare diseases that are kind of following suit. So young men that used to pass away in their teens, like my brothers, are now on active treatment and going off to college. Wow. I mean, can you imagine? Wow. I, I took my parents back to Washington, D.C. two and a half years ago to do some advocacy work. And we were able to sit down with some of these young men um, with Hunter syndrome. And it was just such a full circle moment, you know, for them to be talking to these young men that looked, you know, a little bit like uh, my brothers. Some of the facial features, you know, had, had some some remote reflections of, of my brothers, but these men were talking and going off to, going off to school. And it was just an amazing um, full circle. And I, you know, thank you for indulging in this long version. This is the long story of Angel Aid because it speaks to the power of philanthropy to know that a few dollars raised could go into research that then becomes an active treatment. And I do believe in our lifetime, we are going to see cures to these rare diseases, not just treatment, but just the power of philanthropy. And so, you know, no matter what we can all do, we can all give a little, right? Financially or through volunteer time or, or whatever the case may be, because it does make a difference. Every investment of time or money makes a difference for someone in the rare disease space. That's just my little shout out for philanthropy. Yeah, so very important touch on how every dollar counts and that anyone can make a difference. Even a little sorority girl just thinking she's having parties. It's it's so much more than that. And you got to be a part of this magical research grant that helped create a treatment. And I don't even want to actually emotionally go to how your parents probably felt that day seeing all of that unfold. But I do think it's such a beautiful circle, like you said. Absolutely. And they're concentric circles. They never end, <laughs> right? It's so yeah. that's, that's where, you know, it's so interesting. It's like I always did fundraising on the side, but I had the really awesome opportunity to work for IBM. So, you know, while I was throwing parties, I was also working in advertising and ended up teaching these classes at UCLA, doing business on the internet, and then got recruited into IBM because the internet, I'm totally dating myself now, but you know, <laughs> the internet didn't even exist. <laughs> So it was a big deal for all you, you know, youngins that don't remember that day. But 
You already told everyone that you were 50. Okay, fine. You're right. I did. Okay. So full disclosure. So now I'm just painting a picture life before the internet. <laughs> and we had all these big brands, you know, trying to figure it out. IBM one of, being one of them. So I got recruited into IBM and, and that was great. You know, I got to travel all over the world and lived in New York and, you know, had this big job and it really gave this global perspective which has come into play in what AngelAid is today. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But what also happened at IBM is the influence of data on genetics. So the mapping of the human genome happened at the same time that the internet was exploding. And IBM was really involved in it. And IBM and National Geographic actually were the first to kind of do the, the cheek swabs on a commercial basis. They could map themselves back to Lucy, um, the original early humans, right? And so you could send away for this kit through National Geographic, and um, they would send you this kit, and you'd swipe your cheek. You could find out, are you of European descent or Latin American descent or you know African descent? And so you kind of like get all of it. And I just found that so fascinating, especially given the genetics, right? Because I knew I carried this rare disease. And, and so I found that so interesting. So I moved over to IBM Life Sciences. They had this emerging division called Life Sciences and Biotech. And I moved over to that. And in that, you know, started looking at how data could drive the drug development process. And what an amazing thing to witness, you know, and so um, did that for many, many years, still raising money on the side, like having parties every year, you know, always did our angel aid parties and then had the great, beautiful opportunity to meet my husband, Jim, and he accepted me and all of my genetics, which is, you know, um, is, is no small ask, right? When, when you have this knowledge and uh, it took us a few pregnancies, but we did have our daughter, Chloe. She's our one and only. When you're an X-linked carrier of MPS2, your sons have a 50-50 chance of having the disease and your daughters have a 50-50 chance of being a carrier. So Chloe is a carrier and she's healthy, infuriating as a 14-year-old, <laughs> you know, like every, every other 14-year-old. No, she's amazing. She, she is such a, a beautiful heart and a ballerina and an empathetic human. And I'm, I'm so happy to say that because I've raised her in the rare disease community. Because she's going to have to make choices someday, right? She's going to have to choose her life path and contend with her challenges building a family. And I just wanted her to make informed choices. So about three years ago, I started thinking about, okay, we've, you know, we've raised all this money. We have a treatment for MPS now. Certainly we need to keep working hard to find the cure, but now the National MPS Society is really healthy and, you know, they sponsor millions of dollars a year in research grants and they're just an amazing, very well-run organization. So it's like, what is our purpose? What is our higher calling as angel aid? And the part that I couldn't shake, and maybe it's because I had now become a mother, but the part that I couldn't shake is that in 50 years, while I'd been on the planet, there still is no cure for any rare disease. So the situation for the families at home hasn't changed all that much. So much has changed on the science side but the life experience for the caregivers hasn't. I, I could not shake that notion out of my heart 
and I would, I literally started obsessing on it. I started waking up every day and doing all these Google searches and trying to find out, well, what resources are available for caregivers? And, you know, it's important to note that there are amazing resources for caregivers in the rare disease space. They tend to be focused on information, which is what we want, especially when you're in triage mode. You want information about your child's disease. And they tend to be focused on tangible support. How do I get into a clinical trial? How do I find a foundation or a group that supports my child's rare disease? And it could be a, a, an under 18 child, could be an adult child, right? I mean, so you never, never stop being a parent. So I just want to recognize that. Or how do I find a group because I'm actually a bereaved parent? I've lost my child, but I'm still hurting, right? So informational support, tangible support, there's a lot of resources in that area. What's missing in large part on a global basis across all rare diseases is the mental health side. It's the wellness. It's the mental health and wellness services that Angel Aid is focused on. So we relaunched Angel Aid as a 501c3 and we focus exclusively on mental health and wellness services primarily for mothers, but truly for all caregivers in the rare disease space. <sighs> okay. For anyone listening, most of which I know probably haven't found you yet because this is, you know, this is the big thing. This is what everyone's always just yearning for, hoping for, wishing would come to them in this existence. And I also love that you included all caregivers, right? Because even though you've you've kind of taken this as caring for the mothers, you as a sibling were also a caregiver, even when you were young. And I can tell that that's even just watching your mom, which is another angle of why this became part of your passion. But yes, the tangible things are there, not all great, getting better. But the other stuff, it's hard to find and it's hard to find stuff that actually connects to our day-to-day -day, that actually fits our lifestyle because it's unique. While all, all pain is the same, our, our paths of how we move through our days are very unique. Absolutely. And that, you know, meeting a person where they are, it's a day-to-day, -day, right? We all have moments of crisis, moments of wellness, and a whole lot of moments in between. So, so this notion took root, right, in, in my heart. And I was like, okay, I get the message, God. Like, you want me to come back into rare disease, <laughs> but what it, what is the purpose? You know, what are we going to focus on? And so, I, you know, I did what a marketer does. I did what a researcher does. And I just started conducting research. Well, let's talk to caregivers in the rare disease space. So we partnered with Indiana School of Research and we did make a decision to focus on mothers. The thinking there, just so you know, and it's again, never in exclusion of fathers or any other caregiver in the family, it's just that 82% of the time, the primary caregiver is the mother. And if you follow our, our thinking here, it's that if that mother is the caregiver and also often the emotional center point of the family, then we can uplift the whole family by caring for that mother. And, the, and you talked about connection, right? How do you make something relevant and connect? And so you know, we're like attracts like, right? I mean, we, we may have different 
diseases within our family, but our caregiving experience is largely the same. A lot of the experiences and the feelings that we're dealing with can be aggregated into kind of buckets, right? And so so here we are, Indiana University School of Social Work, and we partnered with a group of graduate students getting their master's degree in social work. We started talking to mothers, rare mothers across America. And we call them rare mothers because they are rare in their experience and they are rare in their diseases, right? So it's kind of this double entendre. And so we're talking to these mothers and we're asking a whole bunch of questions. But one of the questions we always ask is on a scale of one to 10, how supported do you feel? You know, and that can change on a day-to-day basis, right? But one is hardly supported at all. And 10 is extremely supported. And so when a mother or a caregiver answers in the one to five range, then we are bringing crisis intervention services, right? We have a a crisis text line. So if you visit angelacares.org and click on resources, we do have a crisis text line. Um, You can text SIGNS, S-I-G-N-S, to 741-741 anytime, day or night, and that will get you um, in a text cycle with a live mental health professional. So, you know, 24 hours a day, if there's a caregiver that needs support, they can, they can go to the crisis text line and they will get an immediate response, okay? They can also go to our website and then click on resources. And under resources, there's a link to Eurodis. And Eurodis is the rare disease organization in Europe. And they have this amazing aggregation of 800 numbers for the general rare disease organizations around the world in 35 countries. So you know, even if you don't have someone to turn to for your specific disease, you can turn to somebody that's focused on rare disease, right? And you can get on the phone and talk to that person. And then the other thing that we're rolling out within AngelAid is in partner with Give an Hour. So Give an Hour is a nonprofit that matches psychologists who give an hour a week with recipients that need psychology support or mental health support, right? So if you're in crisis, you may want to get professional support. And that's what Given Hour is all about. I'm really excited about that program. We're rolling that out in the coming months. We just announced it this month during, during May, Mental Health Awareness Month. And they, the Given Hour folks have been doing this in veterans care for years, right? So remember I talked about military and veterans. We're so similar, our caregiving experiences you know, we, can, we have a lot to learn in how to support rare caregivers and rare families from a mental health perspective. And we're learning, learning that and partnering with Given Hour on that. So if a caregiver responds one to five, we're crisis intervention, right? If that person responds six to 10, then somehow they've resourced, you know, you've found a way to build your support team either through church or through family or through friends or, you know, through professional caregivers, you've found some sense of wellness. And in that scenario, we're a wellness organization. And we just try to bring inspiration and programming to the community. And we do that through things like every Tuesday, we have a spiritual self-care hour with 
Padma Gordon, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And every Thursday, we have a journal, journaling workshop. Journaling is such a powerful tool, like a reflective tool. And so we have a journaling workshop every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Again, for rare mothers and caregivers exclusively. So those are just some examples. We do wellness retreats, both in-person and virtual. Um, we have a documentary film initiative. And then we have a big event coming up in October called the International Rare Mothers of the Year ceremony that we'll be doing on October 23rd. So we've got lots of different ways that we support caregivers. And we have to meet the caregivers where they are on a scale of one to 10, which can change day to day. So this is a really big job, <laughs> right? Like, oh yeah, my God, I mean... <laughs> oh, we wake up every day. Like, how are we going to do this? And we do it. We do it. We're doing it for uh, thousands, thousands of caregivers. And we're, we're growing by one to five caregiver a day in our services. It's, it's amazing. But that's the new focus of Angel Aid. Thank you for letting me talk about it because I can talk about it all day, but um, I appreciate the opportunity to share it. I mean, Crystal, um, the the one to 10 and coming to caregivers where they're at that day, super important. Love that you think about that. I'm just like sitting here staring at this clock right now and I'm like counting every time that you're just casually laying out a ginormous resource, right? Like if you're a mom, if you're a caregiver, if you're a rare mother and you feel lost and you feel alone and you feel hopeless and you feel stressed and you feel stretched too far, like Crystal built the house. So it's there and I encourage you to go find it and explore where you are on that scale and get involved because the community's here and it's growing and you're just doing the most amazing things. And it makes me emotional to know that just where it all came from and how much love is behind it. And I just, I just think you're fantastic. And I know this is something that's groundbreaking and it shouldn't be. It should just be there and it should be accessible and it should be normal and it should have been created. But you're right. Even in your, your your 50 years, it still hadn't been done. And your mom's over here getting diagnosed with proper PTSD and there's still no bar for anyone to grab a hold of. So thank you for, for making it. Absolutely. I wake up every day. I'm inspired by the women that I work with every day. These mothers are true angels on earth doing very difficult work. And if they can find a few moments of relief in coming together and supporting each other, you know, this is the model. It's finding relief in the eyes and the voices and the sharing with other humans, other mothers that are going through the experience that you're going through. And we hear from our rare mothers all the time, it was so nice to just set the disease at the door and enter into conversation about myself, right? And you got to pick that mantle back up again and keep going, <laughs> you know, when the hour is over or the retreat is over, we recognize that. But just to have a momentary reprieve, we try to, you know, send out gifts to our rare mothers that will stimulate visual cues that there's other people on the planet that are having a similar life experience and that you can get through this moment, this day, you know, this month, this year. That's my true honor to do this work. And my inspiration comes from my parents. So I promised 
I promised, dun, da, 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 I promised uh, an ending to our tragic tale uh, in the Barrett family. And it goes like this. Richard and Phyllis, who met in high school and married at 19 and had their basketball team of kids and lost three of their five children. They did divorce because of the stress of caregiving. And they did remarry each of them, short-term marriages, and divorced again, both of them. And then they each remarried again, longer-term marriages, 20-plus year marriages. And they widowed within a year of each other. So they both lost their long-term spouses the same year that Chloe was born, our daughter. That was 14 years ago. And Chloe, and I would say a whole lot of empathy and forgiveness has brought Richard and Phyllis back together again. So my parents, who were apart for 35 years, have been back together for 14. And um, it's just like this amazing, I, I can't even believe it, because I grew up witnessing their caregiving journeys separately and now I've witnessed so much of the healing with them together and all of us, you know, in this sort of like Hollywood-esque ending to their love story that I thought I would share with you today. <laughs> Richard and Phyllis. <laughs> so amazing. Oh, there's so much in there. I know. Oh. I love it. <laughs> I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing it. And I know that was worth the wait because like that's why we watch movies. <laughs> I, yeah, I was having dinner with my rare mama gal pal Jill last night and we just talked about so many of the points that you brought up and I'm just really excited for you and I'm so happy that I can help share your message with my audience and become a part of it in any way that I can. So just let our listeners know how can the Rare Mamas get involved? How can they tap into your community? What do they need to do? I appreciate you sharing where to click on a certain very important things, but tell them where to go. Absolutely. So so just go to our website, angeladecares.org. And it's A-N-G-E-L-A-I-D, CARES, C-A-R-E-S dot org. And you can click on the events tab. You can click on join our community and just answer a couple of questions. And that sort of kicks off an email that will invite you into all of our workshops that we have. You can find us on any social channels. So at Angel Aid Cares is our handle across Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Um, that will also get you back to the website, but the website's the place to start. And events is a really good place because it kind of tells you what's going on this week, but also, you know, coming up. Awesome. Well, Crystal, is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to make sure to leave with us? I don't think so. I think we've got we covered a lot, don't you? I mean, I oh, love but we could just micro <laughs> converse on so many of the things. I mean, there's just so many important things that you brought up. But yeah, let's just leave it there then. The micro moments that you can maximize, I definitely want to reiterate that. It's so important and small things that you can you do to fill up your own oxygen tank, they take you further than they do other people and they make you last longer than they would have before. So don't discount those teeny tiny things like breathing or wearing pink, you know, like just grab onto them and squeeze them as hard as you can. Absolutely. I love it. There's such wisdom in that, right? And we, we know um, sustainable self-care comes from 
just small little things that you do to remind yourself that you are you. Separate from the person that you're caring for, you deserve the love and the empathy and the care that you give to others. So if there's one message that I leave you with today, it's that. (laughs) Press that back arrow and listen to that a few times, moms, like for real. Okay, Crystal, thank you so much for being my guest. I love you so much. It was really fun talking to you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Um, so if you visit angelacares.org and click on resources, we do have a crisis text line. Um, you can text SIGNS, S-I-G-N-S, to 741-741 any time, day or night, and that will get you um, in a text cycle with a live mental health professional.